0: Part 4 of The Jingle Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, February 2008. The Jingle Book by Carolyn Wells. The Smiling Shark. There was an old shark with a smile, so broad you could see it a mile. He said to his friends, as he sewed up the ends, it was really too wide for the style. The Mercury's Plaint I don't know why I'm slandered so. If I go high, if I go low, there's always someone who will say, Just see that Mercury today? and whether toward the top i crawl or down toward a zero i may fall they always fret and say that i am far too low or far too high although i try with all my might i never seem to strike it right now i admit it seems to me they show great inconsistency but they imply i am to blame of course that makes my anger flame And in a fiery fit of pique, I stay at ninety for a week. Or sometimes in a dull despair, I give them just a frigid stare. And as upon their taunts, I think, my spirits down to zero sink. Mine is indeed a hopeless case to strive to please the human race. THE PIRATE POODLE once there was a pirate poodle, and he sailed the briny seas, From the land of Yankee-Doodle, southward to the Caribbees. He would boast with tales outlandish, of his valour and renown, And his cutlass he would brandish, with a fearful pirate frown. So ferocious was his manner, all his crew looked on aghast, And his fearful pirate banner "'floated from his pirate mast. "'He reiterated proudly, "'naught had power to make him quail. "'Yet when thunder roared too loudly, "'he would turn a trifle pale. "'And he turned a little paler "'when there came a sudden squall, "'for this funny little sailor "'was ridiculously small. "'And whenever a storm portended, "'he'd betake himself below.' So much fear and courage blended. Did a pirate ever show? An Old Love Priscilla, auntie's promised me a brand new Paris doll. And though I love you, yet, you see, I cannot keep you all. Nursie declares I really must throw one of you away. And you're the oldest, So, I trust you will not care to stay. You've lost an arm, your dress is torn, your wig is all awry. Priscilla, you are so forlorn, we'll have to say goodbye. And yet, oh, don't, my dolly dear, don't look so sad, I pray. You precious dolly, come right here, you shan't be thrown away. You're ragged, yes, and lame and blind. "'You're really but a wreck. "'But, dear Priscilla, never mind. "'I do not care a speck. "'Your eyes do nicely when they're shut, "'and I can mend the rest. "'Well, perhaps I'll love the new one, "'but I'll always love you best.'" Bobby's Pocket Our Bobby is a little boy of six years old or so, and every kind of rubbish in his pocket he will stow. One day he thought he'd empty it, so he again could stock it. And here's an alphabet of what was found in Bobby's pocket. A was a rosy apple with some bites out here and there. B was a bouncing rubber ball that bounded in the air. C was a crispy, crusty cake with citron on the top. D was a dancing donkey that could jump around and hop. E was a little robin's egg, all speckled blue and brown. F was a fluffy feather that was white and soft as down. G was a lively grasshopper whose legs and wings were green. H was a grimy handkerchief that once, perhaps, was clean. I was a plaster image that had lost its plaster head j was a jolly jumping jack all painted blue and red k was a keen and shining knife twould cut the toughest bark l was a little wooden lion straight out of noah's ark m was a marble large and round with colours bright and clear n was a bent and rusty nail of little use i fear o was a tiny oil can which was always upside down. P was a penny Bob had saved to spend some day in town. Q was a quilted ear-tab, which had lost its velvet mate. R was a ring with a glassy gem of wondrous size and weight. S was a string, a piece of soap, a stone, a sponge, a stick. T was a lump of taffy, exceedingly soft and thick. U, an umbrella handle of silver-mounted horn. V was a comic valentine, a little creased and worn. W was some sticky wax, lovely to pinch and mold. X was an old express receipt, worn out in every fold. Y was a lot of yellow yarn, all bunched up like a mop. Z was a jagged piece of zinc, found in a plumber's shop. All these are Bob's possessions, he loves every single thing, and owning all these treasures, he's as happy as a king. THE INSTRUCTOPHONE There was a youthful genius once, a boy of thirteen years, named Cyrus Franklin Edison, le de Squeers, To study he was not inclined, for fun he had a bent, but there was just one article he wanted to invent. "'It's a sort of a contraption, which will work itself,' he said, "'and without studying will put my lessons in my head.' He thought and puzzled o'er his plan, he worked with might and main, to utilize the wondrous schemes within his fertile brain. Until at last the thing was done— and to his friends said he it is the wonder of the age success i can foresee my great invention is complete and tis no idle vaunt i'm sure that my instructophone will fill a long felt want the action is quite simple i will try to make it clear this funnel-shaped receiver i apply to my left ear then in this hopper i will put whatever i wish to learn a page of history or of Greek, and then this crank I'll turn. The topic goes into this tube, a sort of phonograph, which acts directly on my mind. It does, you needn't laugh. I do not have to think at all, for as I pull this chain, my wonderful machine transmits the knowledge to my brain. The plan was good, the works were fine, and yet there was a flaw— When Cyrus turned the crank around, the neighbors watched with awe. He confidently pulled the chain with motion quick and deft. The knowledge entered his right ear and came out at his left. He tried again a page of Greek. He tried a theme occult, a message and an errand, every time the same result. Then Cyrus knew that somehow his machine had missed its aim for though the works ran smoothly, it was always just the same. No matter what the book might be, or what it was about, it would go in at one ear, at the other twould come out. So in his laboratory baffled Cyrus, sitting alone, strives to correct the sad defect in his instructophone. But it is my opinion there's no fault in the machine. The trouble is that Cyrus is like other boys I've seen. THE LAY OF THE LADY LORRAINE The Lady Lorraine was sweet and fair, the Lady Lorraine was young. She had wonderful eyes and glorious hair, and a voice of a cadence rich and rare. Oh, she was a lady beyond compare, by all were her praises sung, till valley and plain took up the refrain, and sang with the praise of the Lady Lorraine and besides all charms of form and face there were other attractions about her grace besides her delicate lily-white hands she had rolling acres and broad rich lands besides her patrician coat of arms she had far-reaching fields and fertile farms and of many an ancient and wide domain the beautiful lady was chatelaine so of course at her door there were suitors galore they came by the dozen and came by the score they came in droves and they came in hordes tilted nobility princes lords dukes and marquises viscounts and peers ambassadors marshals grandees grenadiers barons and baronets earls and esquires illustrious sons of illustrious sires but twas ever in vain they sought to attain the heart and the hand of lady lorraine and day after day they turned sadly away for the lady lorraine continued to say decidedly certainly stubbornly nay she cared not for wreaths of laurel or bay their titles or rent rolls or uniforms gay their medals or ribbons or gaudy display their splendid equipment demeanour or bearing. She observed not their manners, nor what they were wearing. Their marvellous exploits for her had no charms, their prowess and tourney, their valour at arms. Their wondrous achievements of brawn or of brain, all, all were as naught to the Lady Lorraine. To each suitor she'd say, with her hand on her heart, "'Sir, I ask of you only that you will depart.' in vain they entreated they begged and they pled they coaxed and besought and they sullenly said that she was hard-hearted unfeeling and cruel they challenged each other to many a duel they scowled and they scolded they sulked and they sighed but they could not win lady lorraine for a bride now the reason for this as you may have divined was because in her maidenly heart was enshrined the image of one who was just to her mind who was loving and kind to whose faults she was blind the lord of her heart and the love of her life to whom she had promised to be a fond wife her highness was happy for even now he was hastening to her across the blue sea he had written to say he was then on the way and would greet his fair lady on christmas day in the old oak hall preparations were made for the christmas ball gay garlands were hung from ceiling and wall the yule log was laid the tables arrayed and the lady lorraine and her whole cavalcade from the pompous old steward to the scullery maid were all in a fluster excitement and bluster and everything shone with a marvellous luster such savory viands the larders presented, such wondrous confections the bakers invented, such pastries and cakes of eccentric design, such sparkling decanter of rarest old wine. And ready at hand was the great wassail bowl, and the jolly old boar's head with lemons so droll. The nook for musicians was carefully planned, and carols and glees would be played by the band. At last all was ready, the workmen were done, and awaiting the jollity, mirth, and frivolity, the games and the dancing, the feasting and fun, the old hall was empty, save only for one. The Lady Lorraine, who surveyed it with pride, and said, It is worthy of Lord Cecil's bride. Then a bright smile illuminated her happy young face, roguish eyes twinkled and gaily her grace crossed the old polished floor with a step light and quick and her high slipper heels went clickety-click she looked cautiously round she was all by herself like a mischievous elf she took from a shelf a mistletoe spray with its berries like pearls then tossing her head and shaking her curls in a manner half daring and yet half afraid the madcap maid with a smile that betrayed expectant thoughts of her lover dear fastened the spray to the chandelier then in a merry fanciful mood inspired by the time and the solitude the lady lorraine in whimsical vein said on christmas eve neath the mistletoe bough i'll solemnly make an immutable vow with a glance at the portraits that hung on the wall she said i adjure ye to witness all i vow by the names that i've long revered by my great-great-grandfather's great great grey beard by my father's sword by my uncle's hat by my spinster aunt's angora cat by my ancient grand dame's buckled shoes by my uncle gregory's marvellous bruise by sir sidney's wig and his ruff so big indeed by his whole preposterous rig by the scutcheon and crest and all the rest of the signs of my house i vow this vow that whoever beneath this mistletoe bough shall first kiss me he none but he my partner for life shall henceforth be she had scarcely ceased when she heard a sound she looked around and startled found from the old oak chimney-place it came for there as if in an old oak frame a figure quaint yet familiar too met her astonished bewildered view of aspect merry yet something weird with kind blue eyes and a long white beard fur-trimmed cloak and a peaked cap rosy cheeks a jolly old chap and though surprised she recognized saint nicholas dear to her childhood days and she met his smile with a welcome gaze the jolly old man beheld her grace with her laughing eyes and her winsome face he couldn't resist her indeed who could and he heartily kissed her where she stood and exultingly cried i heard your vow and lady lorraine shall be my bride now the lady trembled as in a daze with a startled gaze of blank amaze she looked at the figure who stood by her side, and audaciously claimed her for his bride. Then she bowed her head, and the colour fled, from the cheeks that his kiss had flushed rosy red. Her heart was filled with a sad despair, as she thought of her lover, Lord Cecil Clare, and his dire dismay, when on Christmas Day he should ride up gaily in brave array, and find his sweetheart stolen away but the honour and pride of her race were at stake, and for conscience' sake she dared not break her solemn vow, though her heart might ache. To be true to her word her sire had taught her, and she was a loyal, obedient daughter. She appealed to the portraits of squires and dames, who looked sternly down from their gilded frames, but they seemed to say, "'There must ne'er be broken a promise or vow a Lorraine has spoken.'" WITH STIFLED SIGHS, AND WITH TEARS IN HER EYES, THOUGH SHE TRIED TO ASSUME A CHEERFUL GUISE, SHE TURNED TO THE SUITOR, WHO STOOD APART, awaiting THE GIFT OF HER HAND AND HEART. AND SHE SAID WITH A GENTLE, DIGNIFIED AIR, MY HEART BELONGS TO LORD CECIL CLARE, BUT MY FATAL VOW, THOUGH I RUE IT NOW, I DARE NOT BREAK, SO AT YOUR COMMAND I FULFILL IT, ON YOU I BESTOW MY HAND o oh, noble lady her suitor cried twas only a merry test i tried full well i knew that your heart was true behold your lover my bonny bride i assumed this guise for christmas joke and as he spoke he threw off his cloak he flung to the floor his peaked hood and a gallant knight before her stood he doffed his wig and his long white beard all signs of saint nicholas disappeared and smiling there in the firelight's glare was the gay and noble lord cecil clare the lady marvelled a glad surprise betokened itself in her lovely eyes and with her merriment quite restored she said you are welcome home my lord and i'm thankful now that i kept my vow lord cecil raised her hand to his lips and gallantly kissed her finger-tips while the squires and dames looked down from their frames and bless you my children they seemed to say then the band appeared and began to play the guests arrived and without delay the fun commenced and the old oak hall never had known such a christmas ball the feast was spread and the dance was led by the knight and the lady, and everyone said, with a shout that rent the midnight air, "Long live Lord Cecil and Lady Clare!" End of part four. End of the Jingle Book by Caroline Wells.